Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Business That Matters Spotlight. My name is Warren Coughlin. I'm your host. I am super excited by uh, today's guest. It's actually somebody I've known for a long time, so I may fanboy a little bit on you here. Um, I'm going to do a bit of a longer introduction, but not of him, but of an idea. Um, you know, there's this. you sometimes see these things in the business magazines that talk about, oh, here's the seven keys to becoming a successful entrepreneur. Here's the one thing you have to know to be a successful entrepreneur. I've always kind of rejected those ideas because I've been, seen people succeed through all kinds of different paths. Some people are great at culture. Somebody's great at sales. Somebody's great at, you know, building a good system. And all of them have succeeded. And then every now and again, there's somebody like in sports, you say is kind of like the best all-around player. Um, and that's kind of how I think of today's guest. He's great at vision, impact. He's got the discipline to make sure the business runs according to systems while having a great vision. He wants to make an impact while ensuring that there's really good financial acumen in his organization. He's a strategic thinker. He cares deeply about his people, but also really expects excellence from his people. And he cares about the impact that he's having. And on top of that, I've known him for a long time, and I know he believes in challenging himself a lot, not just in business, but in kind of all parts of life, in growing, uh, studying, and really having a lot of fun along the way. So our guest today is Brad Peterson. He's the founder of Pila. And Brad, welcome to the show. Wow, what an introduction, Warren. I, uh, I hope I can live up to uh, what you just uh, so eloquently stated. Well, I, I, you already have lived up to it. It's now, now for me to let people know. Yeah, so Brad and I have known each other a long time. But with Peel is your latest venture. Can you just tell people what it is if they're not familiar? Sure. Yeah. And I just want to clarify, I'm the co-founder, um, not the founder, but the co-founder and chairman of Pila. <clears throat> uh, Pila is a waste innovation company. And uh, we're committed to creating a waste-free future. That's the purpose and vision of the company. And our unique point of view is that garbage is optional. And as such, we create products with the end-of-life solution designed in at the beginning. Um, we, uh, we started off making phone cases. That was the initial impetus for us. And, you know, using this idea of, you know, starting with the end in mind, we, we said we can make these things out of materials that have this grace one to life versus traditional plastic and why phone cases? Well, quite frankly, Jeremy, the original founder, he just sort of stumbled onto it. He was like, hey, everyone has a phone and I have developed this, this biopolymer and I wanna figure out a way, you know, a good form factor that I can apply to. So as it turns out, he picked a pretty good one because there's a, you know, phone cases is a $20 billion a year industry. So not so small. And he really created this new category of sustainable protective wear for mobile devices. But that really led to a series of different products because, you know, we want in creating a waste for future. You can't just do it with one category of products. So we created a number of other categories 
And ultimately we became the creators of Lomi, which is an electric kitchen composter that magically turns organic waste into dirt while you sleep. And um, by doing this, we not only eliminate harmful methane generating waste from going to landfill, um, but the, the soil that comes out of it actually is a decarbonizer. And uh, so all around, um, I guess that's just a, a quick update of who I am and what we've done. And the reason I bring up Lomi is it's very topical. We, we crowdfunded it last year in Earth Day. Um, our goal uh, was to do seven figures, a modest seven figures, which in the world of crowdfunding, if you do that, you're, you're a unicorn. It's a really rare error to actually have that happen. And in the end, we sold over $7 million US worth of product. And since oh. I have sold over well, multiple, many multiples of that. And um, it, it actually has gone down as being the, it was the biggest crowdfunding campaign of 2021 and it's the largest clean tech crowdfunding campaign of all time. And that's right. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's, um, you know, it was a pretty, pretty, um, it, I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, as entrepreneurs, this is what we do. You, we, we try things. It's a series of experiments and uh, we, we tease out our thesis and ultimately the market has to show up and, and vote with their, their wallets if they support it. But we certainly, you know, stumbled on something that captured the imagination of a lot of people. So it's an exciting development for us. Let's, well, let's actually just talk about that for a second, because it's you started off with phone cases. So where did where did the idea of Lumi come from? Because that, that is quite a leap from, you know, protective cases for electronics. Yeah, you know, it's a great question. Um, I, we get it all the time, like your phone cases and I have this electronic kitchen composter. How did that happen? And really, we were solving our own problem. And again, I would say that's typical of most entrepreneurs. They, they want to scratch their own itch. Um, so the challenge with making products that are compostable is the lack of infrastructure to look after them. So, you know, people change with their phone cases every two to three years. Why? Because they buy a new mobile device every two to three years. Unless, you know, there's a rare few of us who might still wish we had our Blackberries with the roller on the side. But uh, <laughs> most, most of us have moved on past that, that point. Um, and, and so, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that most people don't have access to a home composting bin unless you live in an acreage and have one in your backyard. And so the vast majority of our, our audience was bi-coastal people living in New York or California who didn't have access to a home composter. So they would say, hey, where am I supposed to put it? We're like, well, you can send it to commercial composters. And in certain states like California, they actually do have commercial composters. Um, but several of those commercial composters actually wouldn't accept bioplastics because they didn't break down fast enough um, according to what they needed to, to work in their services. So um, we initially went down this path of, okay, let's build these commercial um, uh, composters that we will bring stuff back to us and we'll look after it and we'll create this kind of loop economy through it. Um, but just as we went through this process of continuing to iterate and ideate around it, we said, hey, let's let's democratize this. Let's take it to the home level. I mean, no different than, you know, Tesla's have chargers at every home. Um, and if you happen to have the solar city panels as well, that that supports the charger. So we just wanted to create an infrastructure that was at the home level. And uh, three years ago, we started working on prototypes and um, it's really been a labor of love, um, it's evolution. And, you know, along the way, we discovered that not only breaking down our own um, bioplastics was a problem, but also food waste is a problem. And I don't know if you're like me, I was naive. I thought, you know, you throw food waste in the waste bin, it goes to landfill and it breaks down, right? It's good. 
Um, no, that's not actually what happens. You throw it into a plastic bag, which goes into the waste bin, which goes to a landfill and they fill it and it breaks down anaerobically. And as it breaks down anaerobically, it produces methane gas. And methane gas is, they say, somewhere between 20 and 80 times more potent than CO2 in terms of greenhouse gas emissions. So, um, and by the way, 60 to 70% of our, um, our waste in North America is food waste. So a significant amount of our waste is going to landfill and creating methane gas. So we, we solved our problem for the bioplastics at the same time, saw this bigger problem of food waste. And the unexpected grade of all of it was that the net product that we produce at Alomi is actually a, car a carbon sink. It sequesters carbon from the atmosphere. So we actually could have the most um, scalable uh, decarbonizing solution available. In fact, we entered it into the XPRIZE that uh, Elon Musk um, oh, did sponsored. We did, yeah. Maybe Amandus and all of that. And yeah, we just really believe that as we roll these out, um, this is a real solution for uh, addressing climate change. And how long did it take you? Like how many iterations? So you started just for people who are playing in this space. It's interesting. A lot of people think their first idea has to be the thing that hits. But you started with a commercial solution and wound up with like a countertop solution. So how, how many iterations did you wind up going through? Well, I mean, yes. So the the if you've read Lean Startup, I would say we've really tried to practice that sort of build, measure, learn philosophy to how we do everything, including development of Lomi. And by, by the way, before Lomi, we had several other experiments of different products, different designs. I mean, you know, as a company who prides itself in innovation, we were constantly trying new and innovative things and, you know, the majority fail. And, you know, that's actually a part of success, you know. Fail fast, fail often, fail cheap. That's a part of how you find successes. You know, if you're a batter batting 300, you're an amazing batter, but that still means you're striking out seven out of 10 times. So um, so for us, Lomi was, I don't know, probably half a dozen prototypes ranging from, you know, we, we, we started just kit bashing, kit bashing different appliances and, and thinking it through because Compost is actually a very interesting word. It's both a, a, a noun and a verb. So to compost is to break down and also to produce compost is a verb. And what you need is you need uh, carbon, nitrogen, and then access to oxygen and humidity. And those are kind of like the four elements that are required. And then with the right microbes, you can create a, a way for these things to, to start to biodegrade. And we just found with the right combination of all those things in the right um, setting, we could accelerate it at an exponential rate. And, you know, things that would normally take months to break down, we can actually do in hours. Wow. And so how long, so if you, if, how, how big is it? Like how much can it contain of food waste? And then how quickly does it just turn into, turn into soil that you can dump in your garden? Yeah, it's uh, it's kitchen counter um, top. So it's really designed for people who are, you know, a, uh, call it a couple or maybe a small family. Um, that's probably one of the, the biggest complaints we get right now is that it's, they need a bigger one and, and it is in the roadmap. So those who are looking for that, it's coming. Um, and how long it takes, um, it takes anywhere from three to 20 hours. Um, wow. So yeah, it's, it's actually, and the word wow is, is the word we hear a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the the most common. Um, so here's a crazy thing: we've shipped about um, fifteen thousand pieces in the market. So you know, crowdfunding campaigns are infamous for not shipping anything, right? And we were not immune to all the shortages with IC chips and all that stuff that was happening. So we had planned to ship these before Christmas, but with shortages and stuff, we ended up shipping it late. So most of these units are now shipping. We started the end of January and now into February. We have about 15,000 units that went into market as of last Friday. Of those 15,000 units, keeping in mind not all of them are yet in homes, we have a thousand UGC video reviews. Really? UGC means user-generated content. Right. And the most amazing thing is, and the most common word is magic. Wow. It's magic. Like people literally, they throw in like, you know, food waste is gross. Like I know you live in Toronto. I used to live there. Um, the, the green bin tends to be a blue job. It was my job. I'm sure it's your job when you, you have to look after it and it's smelly and those bags are leaky. And if you leave it at the curb overnight and the raccoons get into it, I mean, there's nothing about that. that <laughs> That's my life. That's your life. Yeah. So, um, when you take all that and you put it into this machine and you hit the button and you look at it the next morning and it's like soil, it's dirt. You can pick it up with your hands and it's, 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 it's still kind of it's slightly damp, but not like gross. And, and you can put it into your, your, you can use it for gardening. You could dress your lawn with it. You, I mean, it's, it's just, it's such a, I didn't know people get so excited about dirt, but actually <laughs> it's, it turns out to be pretty exciting. That's, so just, you know, we'll get into the other bit. So where can people find it? You know, if people are interested, like, I think this is just a, it's a great product. So where, where can people get access to it? Yeah, right now it's only available via our website. So pila.earth and everyone asks me .earth.com. I'm like, no, it's pila.earth. So Papa Echo Lima Alpha .earth. And um, yeah, I mean, it, there is a waiting list. I'll, I'll forewarn you. Um, it's, it's, it's a great problem. We, 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 we have a similar to, I guess, uh, what Tesla and Rivian and those other companies are going through right now that people are actually, they want it so bad that they're actually pre-ordering knowing that they just have to get in line because it is in very high demand. So, um, but that's how you can get it for the moment. That's a great problem to have as an entrepreneur, people lining up to buy your stuff. We love now, it. Now you're, I've seen on your site, you say you're, you're climate neutral certified. What does that mean? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think... The most important thing for businesses nowadays is authenticity and transparency. Um, we've always believed that Pila is a mission with a company, like that really the company is the cause. And I got to tell you, that's been so incredible in terms of being able to recruit talent and, and keep them engaged. And I know it's a separate topic, but beyond that, the most important thing is living authentically the best we can within that. And it is not about perfection. It's just about, in fact, we say, you know, perfection is the enemy of progress, that we're constantly trying to progress and set an example for what we do as a company to lead the way and believe in a better future. And so for us, it's about doing the right things. So we're certified B Corp. We are climate neutral certified, meaning that if whatever we produce in terms of carbon, we're, we are buying the, the proper offsets so that we can maintain that uh, status. And actually that's gonna get increasingly easy for us <laughs> because the fact that we're shipping when we in the market and by default, uh, they're carbon sequestering machines. So um, part of the business model will be that we will offer carbon credits uh, through the, the Lomi system. Nice. So how, ma how many team members do you have now in Pila? 
This um, this has been a really exciting ride, uh, Warren. We when I when I started the joined with the company in 2018, there was four of us, <clears throat> and uh, I just checked in with our CEO, and I guess we just hired 110th here um, this past week. So um, it's it's been you know my pr- former company had slightly more employees than that, but we're starting to get into a similar range of, of what I've seen in the past. And, and certainly I believe this one has the legs to, to be a lot more significant and a lot uh, more impactful than my previous enterprise. So let's go back a little bit. So were you, were you always entrepreneurial or did you fall into it? Like, how did you get started down this path? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's a question. Good question. Is it nature? Is it nurture? You know, um, I think it's a bit of both. I think there's certain people that are born with certain sort of predispositions to, to, um, be curious, um, be willing to take risks and have the courage to, to try things. And, and I always identified that, you know, if I go back to my youth, I can see where I was, I was that kid that was constantly in trouble in school or, or with my parents, um, but most of it was just, you know, harmless curiosity and, and wanting to just see what was possible. Um, started my first business when I was uh, 16, uh, was actually a woodcutting business. So I lived, I grew up in, in central Alberta, had an amazing uh, childhood. We lived on an acreage outside the, the city. Um, there were forests all around. And um, so uh, my father was a consummate outdoorsman and had access to all these, you know, tools and just resources that uh, I could plug into. So I started a woodcutting business. And to this day, I'm like, it was the perfect business because I had profits and no overheads. Um, Meaning that I I, I used my dad's truck, his chainsaw, his splitting mall, uh, his gas. Um, I had access to all these forests that were a part of, um, uh, next to my my grandparents. We, We live on the acreage near my grandparents' farm. And so it was just like, I had access to all these resources and I would hire um, a couple of my buddies from school and we'd go in and, and cut trees and, and uh, split the wood. And, uh, and then I would sell it for uh, $5 less for a quart of wood, which is a, basically a truckload of wood than what the competition had. And again, I didn't have any overhead, right? I mean, well, I had to hire employees to do it, but the rest of it was, was covered. And uh, basically, I used uh, the the profits from that to pay for a bunch of my my adventures as a kid, um, and that just led into a, a number of other things that I eventually kind of was always looking at opportunities. And um, you know, I was in school to be a chiropractor, but one day, um, by the way, my dad he was a chiropractor, and his father and mother were chiropractors. And my great grandfather was the first chiropractor in Denmark, so this was kind of like you're supposed to do this in your life. I was told that since I was a small boy, so that's why I was going down that path. But my father was also entrepreneurial and he had some businesses and he subscribed to um, a publication called Success Magazine. And I remember reading an article back in 94 about a kid from California who invented this toy. And it was one you could throw real far. And in fact, you could throw it like over 100 yards. And I was just like, wow, that's incredible. And it was kind of this rags riches story. And I was inspired by the story. And literally, that was the beginning of my sort of official uh, leap into the world of entrepreneurism and uh, took me down the path of uh, getting into the toy business. So that's a little of the background. And, and so how long were you in the toy business? Yeah, so started when I was 21 and uh, I was about 25 years in the toy business. 
And, um, you know, Nish was started off as a, um, a toy distributor in Canada. And, um, you know, it was an exciting ride. Um, we were, you know, sort of fire in the belly, had lots of youthful enthusiasm. And it was at a time when there was a lot of transition going on in the toy business because a lot of the sort of age old distribution distributors who had big overheads in, that were based in Canada were going out of business. And so it was creating tumult and there was um, availability in the market for somebody to come along with a new, better model. And by the way, that tumult was created because of Walmart, right? You start getting discounting and mass market retailing came in and, and suddenly it just forced tumult. So we, we built a model where we were willing to work on tighter margins. We were very creative with our marketing and, uh, and that business, um, you know, scaled very fast and kind of went up to the right for many years. And, uh, in 2006, we had just had a record year. We had just done shy of 25 million in revenue. And that, by the way, made us the largest distributor in Canada in toys. And we'd won a bunch of awards. We were, you know, I think four years in Profit Magazine. And I was nominated for Entrepreneur of the Year Award with Ernst Young. And so I was feeling pretty great about life. Like it just seemed like everything was, was perfect. And I went away on this trip, got back, and my CFO said, Hey, we got a problem. And I'm like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. What kind of problem? well, I think we have tripped some covenants with our bank. And, um, you know, uh, we came to learn shortly thereafter that in fact, we had tripped some covenants with the bank that we had found the hard way you can grow too fast and get uh, upside down in your balance sheet. And uh, that was a, a quick uh, move into um, special loans and ultimately uh, resulted in the bankrupting of that company. And we liked it so much the first time we did it again, two years later. So um, <laughs> that, that was my sort of initial beginning. And I, a hard lesson learned is that, you know, a little bit of ego can lead to a lot of overhead. And certainly that, uh, that and, and also that the toy business is very fickle. It changes very, very quickly. And while you can have incredible success, it also um, can, can, what goes up quickly also can come down very quickly. It's hard to build an enduring toy brand for sure. And then, so what happened? How did you move from toys to um, getting rid of carbon? <laughs> well, I'll just fill in last piece because I think it'll connect the dots better. Um, so in 2008, after trying to save this distribution company, wrestling with it, um, I uh, my investors who had I brought in, and by the way, they put like $4.5 million of capital in, and it was now all all gone. And I had uh, personal guarantees for it. So I, you know, was feeling a little bit of anxiety about that. They came to me and said, we want you to find a way for us to get our investment back <laughs> with a return, by the way. Um, and I went away and basically took a bit of a, a 90 day break from the business just to get out of it, to think about what was my next steps. And um, I came up with a business plan that got us out of manufacturing, got us out of distribution and into manufacturing, got us out of focusing on Canada, going international, stopping warehousing and going to FOB only orders and focusing on licensing. And that was the launch of a company called Tech for Kids. And Tech for Kids uh, had a very sort of difficult early beginnings, but enough to carry us forward, particularly because we had just come through a couple very uh, humiliating bankruptcies. Um, and by the way, that's where I ran into you, Warren, because you did some coaching for us uh, through Tech for Kids. But eventually we had a couple pretty significant events in terms of right brands, right place, right time, and the business grew quickly. And uh, we 
ultimately re, um, merge that company with a U.S. company uh, here in Florida, where I am currently, and that formed a company called Basic Fun. And Basic Fun is still in business today and has some iconic brands in it, like Light Bright and Tonka and Care Bears and Mashems. And um, yeah, it's it's a, it's actually an enduring company with some some real legacy brands in it. Um, but I exited that in 2017 because I found out the hard way that you can go from majority owner to a minority. And um, there was two of us and the, um, the, the board decided that there should only be one real voice at the, at the front of the helm. So I had drawn the short straw and uh, got, uh, got voted off the island, but turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me because, you know, I would say in my life that almost every time that I've been disrupted, there's been a reason for it. And I've come to learn that oftentimes God saves you from what you want to give you what you need. But that was a sobering moment in my life where I actually could sit back and sort of dream in technicolor about my future and what I really wanted to do. And I kind of came up with three principles to live by. And I've, to this day, every opportunity that comes my way, I review them with that. So the first one is life plan or business plan. Um, you know, historically, I'd always focused on my business plan. And yes, I would say these platitudes of here, I'm doing this for my family and my faith and friends and all that. But, you know, what doesn't lie is your calendar. So right. you don't want to know exactly what's your values and where what is important to you. Look at your calendar. And my calendar said a really sorry story of you're spending almost all your energy and stuff in business. So I made first principle, life plan or business plan. The second was uh, life's too short to work with assholes. And um <laughs> No that's so true isn't it yeah there's it's just it's so really summarized in a more polite way uh, only awesome people um you know and I, I would say that i there's been great opportunities that i have not invested into because of the people um the flip side though i will always back the right people and i am looking for you know the jockey who will win the race or die trying i'm looking for those people that have the hungry humble smart sort of characteristics and spades or i think uh, warren buffett intelligence integrity and initiative right those three things they gotta have all three if you have two of the three you become a talented terror or some kind of um anyways it doesn't it doesn't work out and and then the that, that, that's not just in investing like in businesses like i remember in those early days when you and I were getting to know each other, I was impressed that that was one of your principles for who you hire as well. hundred percent. Yeah. No, and, and that is to this day, it's, it's um, when you want to come work for Pila, you have to run this incredible gauntlet to get into this company. We have you go through rigorous, you're going to go through a minimum of three or four interviews and they're performed by various people in the company who we've sort of selected as, well, by the way, I think everybody in the company is going to do interviews at, at some point, but we're looking for those people who live out our values and virtues the best possible. And they're the people that we really want to do the screening uh, to, to bring them in. But anyways, long story short is I don't care how good the opportunity is. If there's people that, you know, rub me the wrong way or give my wife, make her spidey senses uh, tingle, we just walk away. So the third principle is only impact. I only want to be involved in things that create impact. Why? Because why I can make more money, I can't make more time. It's my most precious resource. And I only want to invest the most precious uh, resource I have in things that matter. So what does that mean for me? Or what does that look like for me? None of what I hate, less of what I tolerate, and only what I love. 
And when I gave myself space to think about what I wanted to do in my next venture and Pila came along and that's literally how it came. It just, it, you know, it wasn't like I went out for a long search. It just literally, I, and also I would say it's the power of the network, right? And that's how you and I met. We met through an EO event. Um, you know, uh, you're the average of the five people you hang out with. You've heard many people use that. And, 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 and good friend of mine, Jason Gaynard says often, that your your network is your net worth and i really believe strongly in that because i just happened to be available when this opportunity came along and the way the opportunity came along was um matt uh so matt bertulli who's the ceo and my co-founder in the business an incredible human by the way who's just got amazing gifts in terms of building companies and marketing um he and I uh, met at uh, an event down in Napa a few years earlier, and uh, we, we became friends and we became part of an EO forum and we also mountain bike together. So it was like these common interests. And we were on these mountain bike rides and he kept telling me about this phone case company that he didn't, it was an environmentally friendly phone case that he invested into. And it was, you know, he was telling the story and it was really starting to take off. And, um, and so uh, I just kind of knew it was there. I was aware of it. But when I became available, if you will, and looking for new things, it just so happened to be at the same time when Matt was at kind of a break point in the business. He had invested into this company. The company was still making their product in Saskatchewan and warehousing in the basement. And everything was breaking. Like they, he was growing the sales like crazy and the manufacturing couldn't keep up and they didn't have the systems and they didn't have a big enough team. And so, um, you know, he and I just started exploring the possibilities together. And it turns out that my skills and my experience were complementary to his. I know how to manufacture. I've made, you know, billions of pieces of plastic and shipped them around the planet. I had that in spades. I knew how to open up retail and do other resource. I built large teams before. So, so it just turned out to be the right place at the right time. And also because of the impact, I would say that having been in the toy business for that long, and feeling somewhat conflicted about it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the idea that I was the real Santa Claus putting smiles on kids' faces. But when you're shipping billions of pieces of plastic around the planet, there is a bit of a, hmm, especially because you know that most of them, 90% of toys end up in a landfill in less than three months. So it's, it's, it's a significant amount of waste that goes to landfills. And by the way, that, it's a $100 billion year industry. So it's pretty, pretty sizable. So I always had a little bit of conflict about that. and. Um, I tell people I had my John Newton moment and I don't know. Do you know the story of John Newton? No, sure. So John Newton uh, was a British slave trader and um, he was very conflicted about what he did, but it was a way to make a living. And he was off the Ivory coast of Africa and got caught in a storm. Oh yes. Yes. In that moment of vulnerability, he prayed to God and said, God, if you save me from the storm, I promised to commit the rest of my life to helping abolish the slave trade. Actually, he survived the storm and he followed his commitment. He went back to London. He teamed up with William Wibbleforce and together they successfully abolished the slave trade in the British Empire. And, you know, some people know that story, but everybody knows his story through his most famous piece of work, which is the hymn Amazing Grace. That's right. So the next time you listen to that hymn and you hear the words, maybe you can hear the heart of a slave trader who was moved to make a difference. 
it's a great story and it's and so what's the your analogy was you you saw the light was it a <laughs> was there a, a moment of getting off the rocks from your ship that <laughs> yeah i i think you know um sometimes the the best gifts come wrapped in ugly paper um i was that's dealt- one of my lines is that one of your lines it's possible <laughs> because you know what here's what i'll tell you is that um you've made an incredible impact in my in my life over the years because you coached my executive team you did our quarterly reviews and so there's very likely going to be some warnisms in my vernacular i'm just going to say that <laughs> Yes, I'm, I try and pride myself in being a big sponge and just soaking up all the good stuff that I hear and try and using it uh, going forward. But uh, back to why <laughs> those words make sense is that I was disrupted. You know, I had a, a sudden exit. Fortunately, it was a soft landing out of the toy business, but it freed me up to think about new possibilities and actually go down what actually were my passions. And one of them was, has always been the environment. I always had this sense of, I was the guy that if my kids threw recycling in the garbage can, I went in, pulled it out and stole them. Don't do that. You know, I've right. always been a bit of a, a stickler for that. And, um, and, and, you know, like I'm walking the beach here as my wife the other day, I'm picking up plastic bottles off the beach just because to me, it's, it's a travesty that our oceans are, are polluted this way and the impact we've made. And by the way, you know what? God doesn't make waste. Like in nature, there is no garbage. Everything right. has value, right? Like everything that is waste to something else becomes fertilizer or fuel to another living thing. It's humans that created this thing called garbage and waste. So right. I, my, my, my passion has really been, as you can probably tell, Spark, that I'm helping, you know, care for creation, because I think that that's ultimately what we're called to do. And it's, it's in my heart. And I, it's one of the things that blows my hair back, albeit I have little left to blow a little more than you, Um, but you're not getting any sympathy from me, buddy. (laughs) So you've taught, there's a couple threads in in what you said. I want to go down Um, first that the notion of the ugly wrapping paper, um, you know, you've had some really interesting experiences. So one is, I imagine that that like the toy business is a really tough business because you don't know you're, you're trying to make investments in products before they reach market, before, you know, there's actually a demand for it. And you have to do that almost on a annual basis. Um, what did you learn from that? That's helped you in this business? Yeah, great question. Gosh, um, so much, um, you know, for number one is, is kind of get back to the batting average idea that there's no such thing as a good toy company. You're either great or you're nothing like that literally is you're either making it or you're getting crushed and, and to make it it's constant iteration because the minute you have anything that's successful, you got fast followers like crazy knockoffs are coming and you know, now it's a race to the bottom in terms of margins. So, um, being very nimble, um, and also, I guess, let's start at the front end. As much as possible, testing your thesis through your MVPs. In other words, what's the minimum viable product? And I don't, I also want to be very careful about um, using that because uh, I don't know if you know who Christopher Lockhead is, but he's one of the thought leaders I, I subscribe to. But he did a piece recently in his uh, newsletter, Category Pirates, where he talked about would any of you go to a doctor who gives you the minimum viable uh, patient care, or would you drive a car that was the minimum viable automobile? Um, 
And the answer is no, right? I mean, the product still has to deliver an extraordinary amount of, of, of value for what you're trying to create. But the point is, is that let's not build the field of dreams and hope they come. Let's make sure that we're getting to a place where we still create the value without putting all of a, you know, the, the Jim Collins, the bullets before cannonballs. Like what can we do to get um, on target to know that this is going to be something worth, you know, opening up the cannon and unleashing our resources into and so the toy, toy business taught us a lot about that because you just have to constantly try, try, try. Literally at the end of a year, you could have had a record year and out of all of what happened last year, you might keep 30%, but the rest of it is all new. <laughs> so right. you have to just continue to iterate very, very quickly. So um, so that that would be a big lesson. And then I would just say, um, you know, one of my mentors, uh, Darren Hardy talks about uh, event plus response equals outcome. Mm-hmm. the events on their own are neutral. It's your response to them that ultimately form the outcome. And I've learned that there's all kinds of adversities I can turn to my advantage that ultimately the challenges are what form the character that I need to be able to be better to build a resilience, by the way, a great book that you are the one that recommended me to, and it's still one of my favorite books of all time. And I think that that is <clears throat> Uh, a couple of disciplines from the toy business that we've been able to apply into Pila in terms of, you know, we, we move quicker. Um, we are willing to take smart risks, um, try new things. And at the same time, when we get the results, well, what from this result? like, instead of it being a fail, what did we learn? Cause I'm also a big believer. You don't learn from what happens. You learn from reflecting on it. So what can I learn? And then what can I, how can I take that learning to apply to something that I can turn to my advantage? And, um, you know, Lomi, quite frankly, is, is a great example of that. We were solving our problem. We were frustrated because we kept getting people who were, were, were saying, I have no place to put this. And, and so, uh, you know, it was, it was taking us down this path that maybe compostable products are, are not going to work. <laughs> maybe we can't actually build uh, a clean economy around them. And, and so that literally alone was an evolution of just taking an adversity over here on the case side and using it to our advantage to create a solution and ultimately solve the bigger problem. Yep. That, that idea of solving your own problem, I think is something I hope people are really taking in. I, I, I mean, I recently did that myself, as you know, I started with you guys around strategy and I've worked with tons of entrepreneurs and I found very few who do strategy well, but as a result, they require a lot of my time. So I actually built uh, an automated tool on an online platform that allows people to just by answering a bunch of questions, it automatically populates a SWOT analysis. And so I can put tons more people through. And it was really, it was just solving my own problem. How do I help more entrepreneurs, um, you know, solve the strategy problem. And now I've got something that lots of people can access. And that, I think you're right that a lot of clients or a lot of entrepreneurs, that's the thing I'm facing some problem to really achieve my mission and I can't solve it yet until I come up with a solution. And frequently, you can figure out how to make that solution monetizable. It just makes your business much more successful. 100%. I agree with that. Now, one of the things you've, you've mentioned, you've mentioned several mentors and leaders and books. One of the things I've always admired about you is your commitment to ongoing learning. Um, can you talk a little bit about how important that's been for your, your own development as an entrepreneur and maybe where that came from for you was again was that something natural or did you just realize along the way that that's key to success yeah um 
I think a certain amount is nature, a certain amount is uh, nature nurture, right? Um, I, I, I've always had a predisposition to curiosity um, and being curious about how the world is, how it works. Um, and, you know, it was my father who said, Brad, you can, there's two different ways you can learn life. You can learn from knowledge or you can learn from wisdom. Knowledge is learning from your own mistakes. Wisdom is learning from the mistakes of others. And it's a lot cheaper to learn from the mistakes of others. And so, you know, I, we just live in this incredible um, place in, in our lives where there's an abundance of access to thought leaders and, and getting into a book is literally getting into the mind of great people. And, um, and so it's a part of my daily routine. Like there isn't a day that doesn't go by that I am doing something to push my learning. And <clears throat> I just want to add to that is that um, the thing I've discovered for me in the last probably two to three years, because um, I'm in the middle of writing a book and, and this has been very helpful through that process is that we need to like temper our consumption versus contribution. So if you're just consuming content, that's one thing, but what are you doing to put it out and, and to give back and to actually, you know, produce your own words of what you're learning along the way. And it's, really important to do that because there's somebody out there who needs to hear this from you that I've come to learn that I used to think, ah, the world's already noisy and busy. They don't need another voice at the table. Well, actually, in fact, I had coffee with a young entrepreneur um, a week ago who I hadn't seen since 2016, who lives here in Florida and who I played pickup volleyball with um, on a beach volleyball court. And he went on to just like, thank me so much for the time we spent together and how it made such a massive impact in his life based on during those, that time when I was talking to him about some podcasts you should listen to and tapes and books and stuff like that. So anyways, coming back to um, uh, your question, I think it's, it's a part of my routine and habits. I'm a big believer that, you know, we are creatures of habits that you build the, your character through a continual compound effect of several decisions made continuously. It's not like there's no one silver bullet that gets you to where you're, you want to be. It's just having the discipline and the ability to do that. And for me, um, being a lifelong learner has been critical. And the second thing that I just want to point out as it relates to producing content out is that you learn from, like teachers are the best or the greatest um, benefactors of their teaching. Because by actually teaching others and saying things to others, you're reminding yourself of the things that maybe you know up here in your head, but haven't necessarily landed in your heart and are actually applying to your life. And so having to go through this process of actually writing this book, there's a whole bunch of like revelations of like correlating ideas. And at the same time, like, yeah, you know what, you know this, but you're not living it. And to know and not to do is not to know. So you need to be actually applying this in your life in a way that is, is going to, you know, continue to optimize it. And, you know, I believe you're either green and growing or ripe and rotting. The, the people who uh, are ultimately going to fail in life, are the people who get out of university and say, I'm done. I got it. You know, got my degree. It's on the wall. It's there. Um, right. Yeah. No, you don't no tread water. You're either in a, as my coach likes to say, you're in a positive vortex moving upwards because you're continuing to invest into the inputs that allow that to happen, or you're in a negative spiral. And even if you think you're sitting still, you're not. And is your, is your learning, is it intentional and strategic as in these are the challenges I'm facing now, I need to go and find information to help me with that? Or is it more, hey, I heard that there's a good book or I heard there's a good course, I'm just going to take that because I find it interesting? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I would say a little bit of both, but um, I'm a real big believer that the most important thing for us as humans is to be inspired. Um, we live in a world where gravity pulls down. Uh, we're, we're, we're inundated daily with negativity, right? You just, I don't care what inputs are coming at you. They're constantly pulling down. And so uh, I am much heavier weighting towards the inspiration side of things that will help me think uh, abundant thoughts and produce more, uh, you know, um, abundance in my life than I am in an instructional. You need both. Um, but the other thing that I would caution people is like, don't get on the, the latest, greatest fad. I mean, things that are tried and true are tried and true for a reason because there are no new fundamentals and principles. They've been around since the beginning of time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so I, I, it's been fun because in the last year I've been spending some time with my kids. They, they both asked me, Hey, dad, can you give us some, some, some mentorship and some recommendations on things to grow. So together we've been reading books together. And, you know, for instance, I went through the seven habits um, with both my kids like a year ago. And I had read that book like back in the early two thousands, you know, check, got it, got that book, right. Reading it last year. It was like, I read it for the first time. Right. It blew my mind. I'm just like, cause the book hasn't changed, but I have, and I'm in a different place to receive new insights. And um, so I'm a big believer in chasing the new and the fresh and that what's, what's sexy in the moment is not the right approach. It's like, what is the tried and true uh, um, literature and or uh, thought leaders that have proven, you know, the test of time that I can plug into to path, you know, grow my, my, myself forward. And of course there's going to be something that comes along. Like I just finished, um, reading, uh, effortless, which is, um, um, oh, drawing a blank on the author's name, but he did essentialism and this is his new book, but I loved essentialism so much that I really wanted to read effortless. And I loved it as much as essentialism or close to as much as well. And, you know, so there is always going to be a place for that, but I, I do caution people, more inspiration versus instruction because you know the instruction piece is important and you need to grow your learning your ability but the inspiration is what gets you at the soulful level that allows for your creativity to flourish and you want to give yourself as much ability to be creative because ultimately that is what we've been called to do is to be creators and within that so the the instruction you've been around doing this for a long time how important are the core business skills like financial management, like performance management, like effective recruiting, marketing and sales skills. Um, there's a lot of people who go into entrepreneurship, particularly social entrepreneurship, wanting to do good in the world, who feel they're just the inspiration and their passion for doing good is going to carry the day. Well, <laughs> I mean, the answer is yes, that that is a big part of it. But you also need to be able to apply um, fundamentals from running a business and being able to um, hire talent, train them, empower them to do what they do, to be able to read a financial statement, to create a business plan and strategy to execute. Um, you know, and, and if you can't do it yourself, you need to surround your people who can, right? And there's several founders, that's their story. Is they, they, in fact, that would be the if you want to create an enduring enterprise, that is the, the, the sort of the 
the epitome of it is uh, founders focusing on their area of genius and often they're ideators and have big ideas, but they suck at the execution and finding people who are really good at it. But you know, at the beginning, a lot of people don't have that option because you're bootstrapping other basements. Well, you're just going to have to like grind through it. That's part of the deal of starting a startup. There is going to be a certain amount of fundamentals. I mean, there isn't a job in the business I, I haven't done. I can do financial statements. I can take out the garbages. I can, you know, do sales calls. I can create a marketing campaign. Um, I can hire people. I, I can do all those. There's certain things that I really suck at, but I can do it. Whereas there's certain things that I just, it's effortless. It just, I'm in the flow state because I love it. I'm, I'm empowered in that moment. And so um, it's, it's identifying that early and then starting to build a plan that, okay, when I get to this level, I'm going to hire this person to do this thing that I'm doing right now. Kind of a crappy job at it, but because believe it or not, like there's people who love to do financial statements. I know yeah. it seems crazy, but there are people who just love doing that. Yes, and there are. People find them and ensure that they're well-employed. <laughs> Now you've mentioned you've referred a few times um, to your faith. How important is that in in the way you run your business? Uh, you know what? It's it's my grounding. I, um, I ultimately we came from somewhere. We're here for a reason, and we're going somewhere. I really believe we're spiritual beings having a physical ex- experience, and. Um, you know, and part of our journey is to figure it out. Like, why am I here? What's it, what's it all about? And asking those questions, which are not easy questions, right? Everyone, I think at some point sort of questions like, did this just happen? It's so weird that we're the only little blue dot in the universe. And, and yet, you know, that also makes us incredibly valuable because we're the only little blue dot in the universe that we know of so far. Um, this dichotomy of insignificant yet incredibly valuable. And so um, I just believe that uh, as humans, what separates us from all of the creation is that we're built for relationships. You know, humans thrive when they build more relationships in their lives that produce value. That's when we're doing our best. We're called to create. Every other uh, species out there works off instinct. Yeah, birds can create nests and ants can create hills, but humans can create polyester and Elect, um, you know, electronics and uh, electric cars and you know rocket ships that go into space. It's it's incredible our ability to create, and we've been empowered with the ability to choose. And you know, uh, I think it was Solonetsky that said that the the it would be really great if we could cut evil out of the human race. But the line of good and evil goes right through every human heart. And meaning that within all of us is this incredible ability to choose things that bring abundance or bring scarcity. You know, we, we can be people who build up civilization and create a better future, or we can be people who, you know, pull it down. And unfortunately, we're seeing some really atrocious things at this time with the pull downs and what's happening in Ukraine. But um, ultimately, I believe that's why our creator gave us these gifts and we are uh, empowered to use them the best we can. And his, his intent was for us to build a world of abundance. And it's our, it's not just our ability or, but our empowerment, but our responsibility. hundred percent. Yeah. Nice. So what's, what's next for Pila? Uh, well, we're trying to create this clean economy. Um, turns out trying, trying to create a waste-free future is a pretty big, um, pretty big task. And, trying to do it on our own is, is limiting. So we're really, 
Uh, I think what you can expect to see in the near future is working with some of the world's biggest and best brands, empowering them, um, giving them what we know, the tools that we've created to empower them to uh, advance this compostable, clean economy that we've envisioned. Um, because again, God didn't create waste. That's a man-made thing. And uh, it's just a matter of us. And the other thing he gave us is the ability to solve our problems, <laughs> to be creative, to choose. And yeah. so we're really trying to inspire people to, to do that. And that's why this is such a great fit for who I am and what I believe, because I ultimately believe that we're called to, to, to love this planet, look after it and love each other. And Peel is on a mission to do both. Now, I also, I, I know we're running out of time, but I really, I wanted to ask you about one other thing, not related directly to business, but the extent to which it, this helps you. One of the, one of the other things that I've known of you since we first met is you have a real passion for um, engaging activities outside the workplace. Like you like to challenge yourself and be engaged in, in all kinds of new things and physically demanding things and social things. Is that, is that a contributor to your success or is that just, you know, I just, I just love life and this is what I want. Like, where does that, what, what's that about for you? Yeah. I, well, it's both actually. Um, I do love life. I I'm, I'm thrilled to be alive. And um, you know, my, my motto in life is that I want to die young as late as possible. Um, <laughs> and, and for me, that's, you know, soaking up all the opportunities and squeezing it dry of everything that's good. Um, and, you know, I don't know, have you ever read the book, The Five Regrets of the Dying? I haven't read it yet, but it's on my list, actually. So it's fascinating because this palliative uh, care nurse noticed there's these common themes with people who are uh, in their last days that she spent time with. And so she just started to uh, document it. And what's interesting is of the five top regrets of the dying, four of them for things they didn't do. Mm -hmm. Not things they did. You'd think it'd be, oh, I wish I hadn't made that decision or I wish I hadn't done that. It was for things they didn't do. The fifth was for something they did and it happened to be work too much, <laughs> which means they worked too much. So they couldn't actually do the things they really wanted to do. Uh, one of my mentors, Jim Rohn, you know, had this great saying, he says, in life, you may, be able, you may not be able to do all you find out, but make sure you can find out all you can do. And uh, I really intend to leave it all behind on the field of life. I don't want there to be anything left in the tank. I want to go to my grave and um, be able to say that I did everything I could with what I'd been given to make the most impact, that I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I kept the faith. I think that is an awesome place to finish off. Um, thanks very much for your time, Brad. I think there you shared just a ton of wisdom that I hope people really soak up and listen to this a few times. This is one of those, like the book that you read a year later, this interview will be one as people who growing in their entrepreneurship would be well served to listen to again, because I think there's a lot here that if it's the first time you've heard it, it may sound interesting, but after you've you know, bumped up against things a few times, you'll see the deep wisdom in it. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Always great to hang with you, Warren. Looking forward to the next time. You too. And just where people can find out more about Pila is Pila.Earth and Pila. anywhere else. Yeah, no, I think that's, it's, everything that is important will be linked through there. So I would think that's the best resource. All righty. Thanks so much, Brett. Take care.
Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. If you're a successful, values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoughlin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's warren, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N dot com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Business That Matters Spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencoglin.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash a business that matters, and Instagram at warren.coglin. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.